Welcome to Building Insight, brought to you by the lawyers at Glayhold Bowles LLP. Building Insight is Canada's first podcast dedicated to construction law and dispute resolution. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, my name is Lena Wang. I'm here today with my fellow partners, Charles Powell and Michael Vallow. Welcome to the Glayhold Bowles Building Insight podcast. The three of us, along with a larger team at our firm, conducted a virtual remote arbitration this summer during the COVID pandemic. And today we're going to share with all of you some of the tips and tricks we learned along the way and answer some of the questions that we've received about our experience. Before we start, we would just like to assure our listeners that those of us that were in the office during the uh, virtual remote arbitration followed all of the COVID-19 regulations and guidelines that were put into place by public health authorities and adopted by our firm. With that out of the way, let's start with the first question. What was the most difficult part about transitioning from an in-person arbitration to an online arbitration? You know, Lena, there wasn't really too much that was difficult for us. It was kind of a weird circumstance, obviously, with the uh, COVID pandemic taking place in March and our hearing was already scheduled to be an in-person hearing in early July or middle July. So it it wasn't like it was a a big transition for us. We had the preparation for the hearing. It was just getting the electronic and the virtual things in place for us to use for the hearing. I didn't find myself too much difficulty in transitioning from the style of in-person hearing to a remote hearing. We were very adept with the uh, Zoom platform that we were using from, you know, previous meetings with clients and and with witnesses in this case. And we were all used to having to use those platforms to do certain things. So it didn't take that much for me to get up to speed. I don't know if Mike had a different experience. Yeah, I I think that's right, Charlie. Certainly from a logistics perspective, a technology perspective, we all had pretty good facility with what it was we were going to use in terms of Zoom and and screen sharing and, and all of that stuff. For me, the thing that was most difficult actually caught me by surprise. You, Charlie, and Lena were down at the office in a boardroom with our team, and I was alone, isolated in my own office out of my out of my house, actually. And I underestimated how difficult that would be for the duration of a, a, a three-week hearing and the prep leading up to it. Just being alone, I found really challenging. The, you know, when you're in a hearing, when you're doing the arbitration, so much of what you're doing includes working with your team, coordinating with your team developing crosses, all that stuff that goes into actually executing the hearing. And I found it really challenging to be on my own. And and the thing that took me a few days to sort of start doing that made the difference uh, was I I just, I don't know if you remember this, I just started leaving our Teams or Zoom lines open, even if we were on break and, and having a bite to eat after hours. I found just having it open and hearing people chat and chatting about things that weren't the hearing just so all-consuming for the duration of it, that sort of natural interaction I, I missed. And that made a big difference when I started just listening in and, and chatting with you guys afterwards. So my one caution to anyone diving into a virtual hearing to the extent you're you're isolated and alone, you've got to find ways to continue to make those connections, even in the course of long hearing days, long hearing weeks through the weekends. You know, as any lawyer knows, often you don't see your family because things are just so hectic. You're in the hearing all day. You're getting ready for the next day in the evening. So you've got to more actively seize those opportunities for the normalcy because the mental health side of things is is important. You've got to stay sharp in hearings and you've got to uh, stay sane. Yeah, I, I think that's right, Michael. I certainly agree that for myself, 
I didn't have any trouble, I think, adapting to using the technology and Zoom and, you know, everything else we used. But um, our whole team wasn't together. You were somewhere else and other members of our team were on different days uh, at home or somewhere else in the office. And it didn't have the same vibe that you had, I think, normally if you were doing a large hearing like that when everybody's together, even if you're just grabbing lunch quickly together and chatting about the case. So that part is missing. And I also found for me, just because of the timing of everything, our hearing was July and the pandemic was declared sometime in March. We didn't know, I think, for basically right up to it, if we were going to be doing a virtual hearing and if we were, how it would be done, right? At times we talked about like a partial virtual hearing. Some people could be at, you know, the, the place with the court reporter. And so that uncertainty leading up to it did impact, at least personally, how, how to prepare for the hearing a little bit. I think that segues sort of nicely into our next question, which is about preparing witnesses. What impact did COVID have on witness preparation for us? Maybe we'll start with Michael first. Sure, Lena. Um, you know, I, I found, like the hearing, the impact wasn't so significant in as far as we could have the video calls and we could prepare for the hearing on the actual platform that we were going to use, which provided some comfort for our witnesses. And I think to some extent, witnesses were were even more comfortable being able to, to participate in the hearing either from home or from their offices. You didn't have that additional layer of, frankly, what I think is kind of a, a intimidation or intimidating for, for any witness to step into a courtroom or, or into an arbitration hearing room and, and be in the box, quote unquote. So that aspect of it, I think, was nicer for our, our witnesses. But what I found gets lost is what gets lost really in the context of any video conversation. It's just easier to prepare uh, with anyone, whether it's your team or the witness in person, you, you know, um, being able to just discuss more naturally, see each other's body language and all those things. It wasn't an insurmountable obstacle, but certainly it was it was a new challenge. You know, we I, I shouldn't say we wasted a lot of time with our witnesses on technological issues, but certainly was that that was a challenge for us. The, our client had security issues with Zoom at a corporate level, and we had to overcome that by the time of the hearing. But while all that was happening, you know, uh, getting security to or, or the, their IT security to allow Zoom to be downloaded on their corporate laptops, for example, was a challenge for us, which meant that we couldn't use Zoom to prepare a lot of our witnesses. And Teams is not a bad substitute, but it's an imperfect substitute. We wanted our, our witnesses to be as familiar with the platform as possible uh, and ideally to have prepared in that environment, but could not. Um, so there were some challenges. But overall, I think like all other meetings and, and all other things that have gone virtual, because we had been doing it since March, and frankly, because our client had been doing it since March in the context of their own uh, work, everyone was fairly comfortable and adept at the new technology and working virtually, and, and it wasn't overly burdensome. There really weren't too many people who, who we couldn't access or, or who had any technological hurdles. So I, I, I thought it worked quite well. Yeah, the only other thing I'd add to that, Mike, is we were kind of in a, you know, uh, this was an arbitration where all the evidence in chief had gone in already through witness statements. We had preparation sessions with the witnesses to prepare their witness statements. And then we had a different kind of preparation session for the hearing itself. You know, we weren't necessarily preparing witnesses for directs 
in, in the sense that you normally would in a normal trial, right? The, the evidence had already gone in, so there wasn't too much of a direct that you had to go through with them. But we were also in a difficult position because we had witnesses that were outside Canada. So whether we were going virtual or not, some of them were going to have to go virtual because they couldn't get back across the border. So we had to adapt pretty quickly because we knew that the border was closed and we weren't going to get these people to come in if we had some sort of hybrid option. I, I didn't find it too difficult, to be honest, to prepare witnesses. It was a little bit more cumbersome in, you know, giving them the, their their witness statement and the documents that were appended to it so they could refresh their memory as to what their, their evidence in chief was and what was included in their witness statement, going through documents and things like that with them. That was a little bit more cumbersome, but it helped us, I think, in preparation for the hearing when we had to share documents. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on when we were doing cross-examinations, at least for me, using the same platform that we we're going to run the arbitration through. Yeah, you know, preparing witnesses with that was a little bit helpful because you you understood the platform and how to share your screen and how to share the document and what happens if you scroll too quickly or what happens if you didn't scroll far enough or the lag that sometimes happens when you're scrolling through documents. So I, I didn't find there was too much impact on witness preparation myself. Um, I, I think the witnesses, a lot of them didn't know any different. They'd never testified before many of them, so they didn't really know what to expect. And this was their first experience with it and they kind of picked it up pretty easily i think they've been doing a lot of teams calls themselves for projects because they couldn't be meeting in person so overall i didn't find that was too much of an impact myself you know charlie you raised an interesting point though and it, it does precede the hearing and it's not squarely on the topic of this podcast but i i personally found one of the biggest challenges of going virtual to be that witness statement preparation which in our practice typically is a very, very collaborative process with our witnesses over the course of many meetings in person to help that witness develop their evidence in their witness statement, get it into their words, and make sure that we're, we're doing as much as possible to, to, to prepare as complete a statement as we can for that witness. And the face-to-face interactions involved in that process, I just think are critical. And I, I, I myself found it a real challenge to try to recreate that virtually. Virtual is good, virtual is helpful, but it's still a poor substitute for really close collaborative work, which I think, you know, witness statements in particular of all the different things we do is really something that benefits from that close in-person contact. And ultimately, we, we of course, got it done and, and maybe it, it took a little longer than it otherwise would have. But certainly that that to me, in terms of going virtual, preparing for the hearing was one of was one of the biggest challenges I think we faced. Yeah, I think that's a good point, uh, Michael. And, and for me, similar to that, I think for in terms of witness preparation, going virtual and the challenges are highlighted when we, we have witnesses where English is not their first language, for example, especially in preparing witness statements, but also in preparing them for their cross examinations not having that in-person connection just makes it a little bit harder. So we didn't always have every single session, you know, the face-to-face interaction over Teams or Zoom. And so accents or, or any misunderstandings just takes a bit longer to sort out. So that's one thing that really felt with this virtual hearing. But I do want to talk about document sharing, like Charlie talked about, because I think for me personally, this was one of the things I was most nervous about. I have some thoughts, but I'm interested in what you guys thought about this. What did you, what challenges did you find with document sharing? 
Speaking for me, Lena, as, as you'll recall, because you were part of the early discussions, when we were planning the virtual hearing, when that decision was ultimately made, the question of how we're going to manage documents of the hearing, of course, came up. And one of the original suggestions was that we have a third party host the documents, put the documents up and facilitate that process. And ultimately, that was rejected in favor of each party uh, and really each cross-examiner managing the documents on their own. And I found ultimately it worked almost seamlessly. Our practice in an in-person hearing would have been to prepare a, bind, a tab binder of documents we wanted to take a witness to, hand that out to the arbitrator or tribunal, the witness and, and opposing counsel, and, and work our way through the binder. We essentially took that practice digital. And what we did was we uploaded a folder of tab documents and, and we worked our way through it. Uh, and so it, it actually worked very, very well. And I found strictly personally speaking for myself, when I was doing my cross examinations and I was in control of my documents, I just found it very easy to put up the document I wanted, go exactly where I wanted to in the document. I was going to have to look at the document anyway. So having it up on my screen was was going to happen. And I just shared my screen uh, with the witness counsel and, and arbitrator. And it really was a very seamless process. I actually found that where other lawyers did it differently and were not in control of their own documents, but maybe relied on a colleague or someone else to put the documents up that they wanted, it tended to be more cumbersome. It requires you to be of one mind with whoever you're partnering with, and that can be a challenge, of course, at the best of times. So I, I just thought, you know, being in control of your own document, spending a little time before the hearing to figure out how it all works and, and making sure you can do that really made the process pretty seamless. It helps when your arbitrator has a 36-inch screen sitting on their desk and, and has no difficulty following you. But I, I found overall, uh, as Lena said, you know, documents are always a concern, keeping them organized, making sure everyone is on the same page going into any hearing. And I just found really right off the bat, it took me a little uh, a witness to, to really hit my stride with sharing documents seamlessly. But we eventually got there and I thought it worked out very, very well. Yeah, I mean, that, Lena, you know, the document sharing, I mentioned it before, and it was probably one of the most concerning things I had with going virtual because I didn't, I didn't know how it was going to work. As Mike says, we ended up doing it so that the cross examiner was the one sharing the documents and that, that definitely worked for us. And it's kind of every cross examiner's dream in the sense that you can just take the witness to the section of the document that you want them to look at, put it to them. And then move on. They don't really say much about it, to be honest. Like they, there's some witnesses that go back and say, I want to read the whole document, but it, it's, they're not flipping through the binder of documents that they're supposed to be looking at. You take them right to the provision or the sentence in the, in the email that you want them to look at and say, I want you to look at this. And they do that. You're much more in control when you can control what the witness is looking at, obviously, and you can control the document. You can scan through it and take them right to the part you want and highlight, this is the part I want to look at. And sometimes they say, can you scroll up? Can you scroll down? Can you go back? Whatever it is. But the amount of control you have when you do this is pretty significant, I found. The only thing that I found more challenging was I personally, and, and everybody has their different process on how they like to do crosses, I like to have my cross questions printed out. And I, I for whatever reason, because I put notes down and somebody's answering a question for a follow-up question, and you can't really do that and type and look at the cameras and all that other thing when it, when it's happening. So I had my cross outline printed out on a page on front of me, but I also like to look at the witness and listen to the answer. So you're doing a lot more, I found, when it's virtual and you're trying to 
deal with the document. You're trying to follow the question. You're following, follow the answer that's being given and also trying to follow my cross outline. It was a little bit more cumbersome in that sense. But as Mike said, once I got through the first half of the first witness, I kind of got my stride and then I adjusted to whatever it was, you know, whether I had the document being shared. We had myself, I had three screens across the board and one would be the Zoom call and then the other one would be whatever document we were looking at and then something else would be the next document to come up or, or the, the next document I wanted to use in my cross-examination. So there was a lot going on on the screens, but once you got comfortable with that, and you knew where you were going. I quite like the way that we controlled the documents. And the other side did the same thing. They controlled the documents when they wanted to do their cross-examinations because I know I've heard that other people are using a third party who is hosting the documents. And I, I was concerned about that because I would have to say to the person that's hosting the document, okay, let's open up tab 362, scroll down to page 555. No, that's not it. Scroll up a little bit. I want to go to this section. It was a lot more time. I, I was concerned it would be a lot more time for somebody else to judge that when I knew exactly where I wanted to go. But the other thing, I guess, that I should pop in here with is in, in our practice, the construction practice, you know, you've got these massive contracts that are thousands of pages long. And although you, you do the best you can with it, one thing is you've got to have the page sites of where you're going to go, because when you open up a PDF, it's a thousand pages long. You don't want to take two minutes to scroll down to page 555. You want to be able to just pop that up there and have it up there for the witness right away so that you're not just scrolling for two minutes of hearing, you know? So it, it did take a little bit of getting used to of navigating through the documents. But for, for me, I found that it was very helpful that we were the ones that got to control the document. You know, Charlie brings up a, a great point and it's all about preparation. You'd think something as simple as page numbers would be obvious to any cross-examiner, but even within page numbers, there are things that will trip you up and throw off your rhythm in a cross-examination or a role that you might be on. And that's the difference, for example, between the printed page number and the PDF page number. So you might be looking at page seven of this witness statement, but it's PDF page nine because there's a cover page and, and some, some tables of content. So focusing on those little things in advance and being prepared will make a huge difference in your ability to have things move along. And picking up where on something Charlie said, screen management is probably the most important thing I can think of in terms of preparing for the hearing. Like Charlie, I had three screens and it took me about half a day to figure out where I wanted everything in a way that I could keep everything in, in my mind. Look at the witness, look at the arbitrator, look at my examination notes, look at the document that I was examining on. If there was a document, there's a lot of things going on and it can be off-putting sometimes in the context of a hearing, a video hearing, because you'll be looking away from the witness at a second screen where your document is and not looking at them in the camera. And that, that takes some getting used to, certainly. But screen management, how, where you put uh, your notes versus where you put the, the, the witness's screen versus the arbitrator's screen, everyone's going to have their own personal view on how that should go. And it takes some time before the start of the hearing with some practice runs and figure out what you want your setup to be, because it makes your ability to actually execute your cross-examinations and just conduct the hearing so much easier once you get into that rhythm. So that is something that's worth preparing in advance. It sounds silly because it's a little thing, but screen management proved to be a big deal. I'll just add to that. Good, Mike, because the practice makes perfect is always what everybody says. And I, I'll be honest that 
I did practice that. And when I got to the hearing, it changed for me. I, I didn't like the setup I used in preparing our witnesses once I got to a cross-examination. And part of the reason was because I, whether it's, it, you didn't really need to look at your own witness while you were preparing them the whole time, you could look at the document and then look back at them. But what I ended up doing was starting with that at the hearing and then changing it as it went along because with Zoom, and I think you and I talked about this when we were in the hearing, you could pin the camera on any one of your screens you wanted and you could just leave the witnesses screenshot kind of above the document you were looking at. So you're always looking at the same screen. I, I did change that around depending on the witness I was using, the witness I was cross-examining. And although practice makes perfect, it's not until you actually get into the actual hearing that you're going to find what works for you. And it may not be the same thing that works for every witnesses. Uh, for instance, when we were cross-examining the experts, it was different for me because I had the reports open on screens and also the transcript from previous days to see what other people had said in case the expert disagreed with something that I was putting to them as the testimony that had gone in. I had that transcript up as well. So there, you're going to have to find your way as you go along through the hearing. And, and it's not necessarily going to be what you practice with, because although you practice with it, it's not going to work during the hearing. You have to be in that scenario to find out what's actually going to work for you. The only thing I would add to that, I agree with everything you guys just said. But the only thing I would add to that is if you're sharing your screen or sharing specifically a document, be mindful that you are sharing whatever document that you're sharing. I know it sounds trite, but if you've marked that up for your own purposes, like when I read something, I will leave comments and you know highlight things and make a note of that. If you then go and share that, obviously everyone could see your comments and notes and they may not be comments and notes and highlights you want everyone to see. So that's just something to be mindful of. Share your document as opposed to your screen. Well, that's, that's not always going to get you out of trouble because I mark up my PDFs with comments uh, and highlights in the electronic version, especially since starting to work at home because I, I'm printing so much less. thing I did while I was doing the hearing, I had a, a second computer on my desk just for messaging with the team, sending emails or using Teams because I was very concerned about inadvertently typing a message that I thought would go in one chat window to, to, to the wrong chat window or, or sharing a screen that I didn't want to share with, with some notes up to it or, or private messages to my team. So I was uh, very cognizant of that going into the, into the hearing. And I, my second computer actually was very, very handy to have. So if that's, if that's an option available to you as a practitioner, I, I certainly found it was very, very helpful to have that. So we've talked about some of the challenges um, with transitioning to a remote hearing and sharing documents. What was the biggest benefit of having the arbitration conducted remotely? Probably time. For me, it was probably time. I mean, we had very efficient hearing days, and I'm sure to some extent that was because our cross-examinations were so well-prepared and sharp and focused in the context of our chess-clocked arbitration. But even still, there was a real efficiency to, to everyone just logging on and not milling about the uh, the kitchenette over at our arbitration place turning 15-minute breaks into 30-minute breaks. So I just found that there was a lot more efficiency to the process than, than frankly, I was expecting. I thought it might be cumbersome, it might take longer, uh, and all of those things that go with it because of the unknown. But in fact, I, I think we ran a really efficient hearing in large part because it was all virtual. Yeah, I'd agree with that. There was definitely benefits to the client too, obviously, because there was less costs to the client because counsel have to travel all over the place. But there was also more opportunity for more people within the client, client reps to be involved. They just had to sign into the Zoom link and watch what was happening. They didn't have to be there all the time because we had real-time transcripts and all that other stuff. But if they wanted to tune into a certain witness, 
they could just do it. You know what I mean? They didn't have to fly to Toronto or to Ottawa or wherever they had to be to watch that arbitration hearing. So for the clients, there's quite a bit of benefit to that. One selfish thing for me is obviously, uh, as my team knows, I would show up in July in shorts and just throw on a suit jacket and, <laughs> and a tie and a shirt. And there you have it. Charlie had his arbitration uh, suit on. So that was pretty comfortable for me. It made it much more comfortable doing it remotely in the sense that I could uh, dress as I wanted as long as I was with the uh, suit jacket and suit tie on, on the camera. The other thing I found a little bit of a benefit was you didn't have, for me anyways, uh, after a hearing was done, you'd have to do the walk back. It was good to get the air, but then you had to get yourself kind of recharged to start preparing for the next day. Here, we essentially shut down the hearing and started preparing for the next day. There was no break in having to ramp back up. We had to go out and get some air, don't get me wrong, but it was it was kind of seamless in the way that you know the hearing ended. We started preparing and kind of brought it right to it instead of having that break or that lull, which is good to clear your head, but also takes a lot to try to ramp back up to prepare for the next day. So it was kind of easy just to shut off the hearing and go right back into preparation for the next day. Yeah, the the dress code was definitely a big plus for me. And the other thing that I thought was a benefit for me personally was, I think because of the remote setup and because of where most people's cameras are set up, which I think is their laptop. I know, Michael, you had a separate camera. But regardless, I always felt like I was very close, a lot closer than I would be in person to the witness I was cross-examining. And with, you know, what you talked about, about having your notes and the document on the screen, which I did, as opposed to hard copy printing in front of me, I didn't really look away from the camera. So I felt a lot more in control because I felt closer and I felt like I could always keep my eye on the witness. And I don't know how effective that actually is or how much it benefited the cross-examination, but making me feel comfortable, I think, was a benefit in its own. So that was something upon reflection, just comparing to, you know, other experiences where you're cross-examining in person, you didn't always get that level of control. Lena, that raises another question that I have for you guys. Every virtual hearing is going to be different. In our case, if you weren't examining answering questions or the arbitrator, your camera was off. So if you weren't engaged, so to speak, your camera was off. I've heard of other virtual hearings where if you're in the virtual room, your camera is on. We didn't have that. How did you stay engaged when you were not performing the examinations yourself? Did you find that challenging being at your computer, knowing your camera was off and trying to stay engaged? Was it different than being in a hearing room, for example, being a lawyer in a hearing room that wasn't actually performing the examination, staying engaged? Did you find that different? I didn't find it too much different. I found that I was more focused in the sense that because all the other cameras were off, if somebody was moving around in in a hearing room, you know, people move around, things are happening, binders are being pulled. You don't see that. You're just kind of focused on the questioner and the cross-examining witness. So you don't see the kind of peripheral stuff that's happening. So you're focused more on what's going on, or you can be at least anyways. You're not looking around the room to see what somebody else is trying to grab. You you can't see that. All you can see is the guy making the questions and the the person answering those questions. So you're a little bit more focused, I found, actually, to be honest. And I agree with you, Mike. You know, the cameras are off, and we didn't really have too much of a protocol as to what the witnesses were going to have open, what they were going to look at. It was it was a lot of trust. And there has to be trust in these arbitrations where the witnesses are virtually done because you're not in the room with them. So our cross-examinations would have been a little bit longer because we asked questions out of the hop, like, 
what applications do you have open? What documents do you have present with you? Can you show us those documents? Can we see what your computer screen looks like? Those kind of things, right? There's some trust that has to happen here because there is nobody in the room that can see what this person's doing. But to go back to your question, I, I found myself to be much more focused because I didn't have the distractions that took me away from listening to what the answer was because the answer was right there. And we were also all wearing headphones. So you can't hear what else is happening in the room if there are people in your room that are moving around or doing something. It's kind of blocked out. You know, all you're doing is listening to what's happening in the arbitration. Let me let me pick up on on something you noted there, Charlie. It was about the protocol we had, or or really lack of a protocol. And and for us, I think it was more a function of the very aggressive schedule we had to get to hearing and sort of to prepare for a virtual hearing as opposed to a regular one. And we ultimately had no written or agreed to protocol for the actual execution of the virtual hearing. Did you find that helped or or hindered us? ultimately in, in how the how the hearing proceeded. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that it really hindered us because we didn't have any scenarios in our arbitration where, you know, the other side and us were in a disagreement as to what was happening with respect to the protocol. It never came up during the hearing where something happened that we didn't know how to resolve it. It was kind of you're right. It was it we were kind of thrown into it. It was kind of something that had to happen because we couldn't meet in person just based on the COVID restrictions. And we all kind of agreed that it could happen. There was things like we were going to use Zoom. So that was a protocol. We were going to use that application or that platform, pardon me, for the arbitration. So that was something we all agreed on. And then we agreed that each party would just manage their own documents, but the other side would get those documents just in case something happened and they'd all be able to have those documents. So there were certain things we did agree to. But seeing these protocols out there where everybody has to have a certain frame rate camera or a certain internet connection or something like that. And we didn't have that. And it didn't impact us because we never really had the issues with it, if you know what I mean. I don't know if you know, we had a, a few scenarios where people's microphones weren't working or or their headphones weren't working and the, the court reporter couldn't hear as well as they should have. But the arbitrator could still hear. And, and we all kind of just brazened our way through it, really, for parts of it. But it didn't really start any fights as to, you know, well, the protocol doesn't say you can do that. We just kind of managed it. In a sense, it was probably better that we didn't have a protocol because there were certain things that, you know, for instance, when somebody's headset didn't work, what was supposed to happen? If you had a protocol, it would be you needed a headset and the whole arbitration is on pause until you get that headset. Well, we just unplugged the headset and everybody listened very carefully for the person's answer. So I didn't think that it hindered us too much. Yeah, you know, I gave that a lot of thought as we were doing the hearing and, and after the hearing, and I found that our lack of protocol created a flexibility, I think, that worked for us in the context of our hearing. And I think certainly it had to do with the cooperation of counsel on both sides and an arbitrator who was flexible and more interested in just getting on with it than, you know, sort of strict procedural prescriptions. But it's, it's you know, it's an interesting point because I've also read the same template protocols that you see now being put out for virtual hearings requiring minimum internet speed and other of those types of things. But the question then becomes... In an environment like COVID, where people, at least at the beginning of the summer, were locked down and they couldn't go out and just pick up a new headset. I mean, I suppose there's Amazon, but there were limitations in place. And what do you do if you've got a protocol in place that prescribes a certain kind of Internet and your witnesses up north in rural Quebec with with only a dial up connection? These were issues that we faced and we just had to manage them. Now, the one point you did make that I would offer as a tip to anyone undertaking one of these in the future is prescribing a, a separate independent mic is not bad. It is true. Our, our court reporter did have a lot of difficulty hearing some of our witnesses who were in different rooms in their house that may have had echoes. And they were just using their laptop microphone. And in some cases, 
those connections prove to be challenging for the court reporter. Of course, Zoom offers you the ability to record a session in those in those situations, which is something we took advantage of ourselves. But prescribing sort of audio quality might not be a bad idea or certainly encouraging uh, witnesses and parties to go out and make sure they've got appropriate equipment for the hearing, because, of course, hearing what someone has to say is is, is the point of the hearing. So anything you can do to augment that is critical. Yeah, I think in our case, we were pretty lucky. Parties were civil, like you said, Michael, but also I think both parties and not just lawyers, but both parties seem to embrace the technology pretty well. And we had an arbitrator that was pretty adept at using technology. And for example, we know our client had been using Teams before the pandemic started just as a way of internal meetings. But I think it depends on the parties as to whether or not, I guess, if you would have a protocol. And I think there's probably still parties in council out there who are struggling with opposing parties telling them, no, I don't want to do a virtual hearing or I don't want to do a virtual examination for discovery because I have issues about credibility or I don't know what your client's going to be looking at. You could be texting your client. There's all sorts of things in people's minds. And I think it depends on what circumstances you're in. And in those cases, maybe it makes sense, time permitting, to think about and discuss and put on paper some of the things that would go in a protocol, not necessarily, you know, like how fast your internet has to be because you're right. Who's going to, how do you enforce that? Who's going to enforce that? I think that's right, Lena. I mean, had we been doing a fraud case, we might have been a little more motivated to ask our witnesses to pick their laptop up and spin their camera around so we could see everything that was going on in the room. Obviously, the level of trust would have been a bit different. Our circumstance was different. So I guess the the key lesson is really the process has to be tailored to, to the dispute. Every dispute is different. Parties are different. Levels of trust are different. And so that really, in, in many ways, is going to dictate how much process you prescribe versus allow to just occur naturally. So our last question, and we've sort of touched on this a little bit as we discuss the rest of our questions today. But the last question is, what would you do differently next time? And I know, Charlie and Michael, you both have hearings coming up this fall. So this is a very real question for you. Speaking for me, I would probably make sure I have more snacks around. Um, I, feel, I feel very comfortable going into another virtual hearing from a logistics perspective that I, I'm not sure... Uh, there's too much that I would modify as I sit here as I sit here now today. I agree that there's probably a lot I modified from the start of our hearing to the end of our hearing, but now that I'm comfortable with it, I don't think that there's too much that I would do differently next time. I mean, there's cross-examination outlines to be electronic up on the page if I could do that differently, but I don't know that that's something that I need to do, if you know what I mean. It worked pretty well by the end of it. I got it to a place where I could really handle it and it didn't need to be on the screen. So would I try to do it differently? Probably not because we've got a, a fashion of working with it now, so I don't really have to do it differently. I think one thing, Mike, that you mentioned, and it's Although it worked out for us, having one team member outside the office, you specifically, it'd be much better if we could all be in the same office, obviously, because as you say, although we were we managed it and we were all on Teams or on Zoom after the hearing ended, it was as, as if we were in there. There's just those moments where, you know, it's, it's easier just to pass over a post-it note or something like that. And although we had the chats open, the person that you're trying to pass it over to isn't always looking at that screen where the chat is and we don't want that chat to be up there. So having the team as close as possible, although it's still virtual and you're still all connected, even being in the same room, I think is is something that's definitely worthwhile and worth doing if you can make it happen. I agree. More than anything else, the thing that the virtual hearing affects is you're working with your team. 
The cross-examinations are much less of a big deal than I expected. The witness is right there in front of you. Their face is zoomed right in on the camera. You know, you don't lose any of that element of it, I don't think. It's really the working relationship you have with your team and ease of communication. Those are really the challenges on our side that I felt were the biggest and most cumbersome to overcome, as opposed to actually executing the hearing and doing the crosses. That'll do it for us. Thanks for listening to the Glayhole Bulls Building Insight Podcast. For more information and to listen to some of our other podcasts, visit glayhole.com. That's G-L-A-H-O-L-T dot com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit glayholt.com for more information. If you have any questions, email us at info at glayholt.com. We look forward to having you join us again.